as we consider the subject of baptism this morning. As we begin reading in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, And what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Baptism can be a confusing subject, and I'm not sure why, because it's pretty simple within the Word of God. I myself was baptized or things that I identified with that three times. I was baptized as a baby as my mom uh, brought me to a Presbyterian church and had me baptized. Later on, when I was dating Lisa and started going to church with her, somebody told me that baptism was something that you're supposed to do. It's just a step of obedience. And so I thought, oh, well, if you're supposed to do it, then I should probably do it. And so I got baptized again. And then I still wasn't a Christian. I still didn't really understand what Christianity was about. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I didn't see how it connected to me. And then when I realized that when he died on the cross, he was dying for my sins. And when he rose again from the dead, he was giving me victory over sin and death. Then I embraced him as my Savior through faith. And, and when I did, then I got confused again because I told the pastor about it. And the first thing he asked me is, well, you want to get baptized? And I said, boy, I don't know. <laughs> how, how many times does a guy do this? <laughs> and he says, what do you mean? And I said, well, my mom had me sprinkled when I was a baby. And then somebody told me you're supposed to do it, so I did it again. Uh, now you're t- asking me if I want to do it again. And he showed me in uh, Acts 19 where there's a guy named Apollos, and he'd been baptized before under John the Baptist's baptism, but he didn't understand about Christ. And, and when he got saved, he got baptized because then it represented what he believed about Jesus. And, and so I said, oh, all right, well, you've proved it. I'll get baptized. And I got baptized that night. Baptism, it really isn't that hard to understand in the Bible. It's pretty simple. And what I'd like to do this morning is, is just walk through some things to help us get a, a better understanding of To start out with, before we get into the passage that we read, I'd like to go over just a couple general things about baptism as we get to participate in it here this morning. As we look at baptism, one of the first things that you'll notice is that we do our baptism by immersion, by immersion. And we do that for three reasons. First of all, the definition of the word. The word baptism comes from the word baptizo in the Greek language. And as you notice, they kind of sound similar. And the reason for that is when they made our English versions of the Bible, they did not translate the word. They transliterated the word. Now, to transliterate a word, you carry across the sound of the word. To translate a word, you carry across the meaning. Well, at that time, when they translated the King James Version of the Bible, they were practicing forms of baptism that were different than immersion. Instead of carrying across the meaning, which the word baptizo means to dip or to immerse, instead of translating it and carrying across the meaning, they brought across the sound. Baptizo, baptize, and 
they used it to cover a broad spectrum, everything from immersion to pouring to sprinkling, all got labeled as baptism. And so that's one of the reasons that we do it by immersion. If you translate the word, if you take it for its meaning, it means to immerse. Uh, Not only is it the definition of the word, it is also the New Testament model. As we read through the New Testament, there are many indications in the language that it was immersion. Uh, It says that John the Baptist was baptizing down in the Jordan River near the area of Salim because there was plenty of water there. You know, I watched a video message from uh, um, John Piper, and he said, you know what, I've been to baptisms where they sprinkle people, and you don't need a lot of water. He says, I would estimate that you can probably baptize 200 people with a quart of water. He said, so the point that they were pointing out that he was baptizing in this section of the river because there was plenty of water also indicates there was immersion. As well as that, we see language like they went down into the water or they came up out of the water. And so all the Bible language indicates that it was immersion. And not only that, but lastly, the early church, as we look through not just scripture, but history, as we look back into history, the early church practiced baptism by immersion for centuries. The sprinkling and pouring came along later. Even when they started baptizing babies, which they didn't start for a few centuries later, that was by immersion. In fact, you look back, I think it was up in the 1500s of Prince Edward was baptized as a baby. And they immersed him. They dunked him. <laughs> so sprinkling and pouring, these other forms came around later to do with for people that were sick and ailing, that may not be best for their health interests to, to put them underwater. And so they came up with some different modes. But today it almost seems that they've become the norm in, in many circles. Uh, we, don't, we don't do that. We do it by immersion. And mainly just because of the simple reason, well, that's what he said. He told us to immerse them. That's the meaning of the word. It's the New Testament model. It's the history of the early church. So we just do it. It's just as simple as that. Not only is, are we dealing with a baptism by immersion, but another issue that is important is that it is a believer's baptism. As we look throughout Scripture, baptism is meant to be a symbol of what we believe. It is a public declaration of our own faith. And that's why we we do baby dedications here at Little Fork Baptist Church. We do not do baby baptisms. And the reason for that is that baby has not come to a point where they're trusting in Christ. They've not experienced faith in their own life. And so we don't see it fitting to baptize them. We save that for later. When they come to an age or they come to a time in their life where they embrace Jesus Christ, now their baptism becomes meaningful. Because it is an expression of what has happened on the inside. It's an external expression of an internal reality in their life. Now there are people that do practice infant baptism. Uh, You do not find it in Scripture. There are a couple of passages where it says that whole households were baptized. Nowhere in those passages does it indicate that there's an infant. And in both in those passages, it also indicates that the whole households believe as well. One of the reasons that people baptize infants today is because of those two passages. They'll say, well, there are passages that talk about whole households being baptized. So maybe, you know, maybe there were some babies there, so we'll do that. But as I said, there's no indication that there were babies there. I look at my household. We've had five kids, so we've had babies in our house more than most. And most of our married life has not included babies. Uh, still for a brief amount of time, even with having five kids. So it's a pretty large assumption to make. You know, probably the main reason that people baptize uh, infants is because of a, an understanding of something else. They look back at the Old Testament rite of circumcision, and they look at the covenant, the old covenant that the children of Israel were under, and circumcision was given to the children of Israel as a sign of that covenant relationship with God. And so now we're under a new covenant, and so people say, well, baptism is the sign of the new covenant with Christ, and that is true. But who then gets baptized is the question. 
Because in the Old Testament, the babies, and obviously not the females, just the boys bore the sign of circumcision in their flesh as a sign of the covenant. In the New Testament, boys and girls, men and women, go through baptism as a sign of the new covenant. But at what point do we do it? Well, we do it not when we're born physically, but when we're born again spiritually. In other words, when we become a new believer. Um, I like the way that, uh, I think it was John Piper, he said, we don't baptize babies, we baptize baby believers. We baptize people when they come to a new faith in Jesus Christ, when they're born again, that's when they get baptized. In the Old Testament, you were part of Israel just because you were born into Israel. It's not that way in Christianity. You become a Christian when you are born again, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's when you become a Christian. You don't inherit it from your parents. You've got to trust all on your own. Probably the best passage that kind of puts these two rights close together and helps us to understand them is found in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, In him also you were circumcised, he's talking to Christians here, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's telling this group of Christians, he's saying, look, the symbol of circumcision has been fulfilled in you, but how has it been fulfilled? It's been fulfilled in Christ. He's not even necessarily talking to people that have been circumcised physically. In fact, when he writes the book of Galatians, he tells them, because people were telling him, you've got to be circumcised to kind of become part of Israel before you can become a Christian. He says, no. He says, if you're trusting in your circumcision, then Christ will do you no good. But he's saying in this passage that Christ is the fulfillment of circumcision. But then read on. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, so it brings baptism into the picture, in which you were also raised with him, notice, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in talking about circumcision in the New Testament to Christians, it says you've been circumcised. That is the putting of the way of your flesh. But it's not a physical circumcision. It's a circumcision that's been done without hands. It's not a circumcision of carving away flesh. And it's fulfilled in Christ through your baptism, where you participate in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know it doesn't happen to infants? Through faith. So in other words, our baptism we participate in as a sign of our faith in Jesus Christ and our trust in the fact that he died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead. And so we have an interesting phenomenon within our society. I was watching a video of John MacArthur talking about this even last night. And he said, we have a very amazing thing in our society today. We have a whole host of people that have been baptized, maybe sprinkled or poured, but it's identified with baptism. He says, we have a whole host of people in our country that have been baptized, sprinkled as babies, but have never come to Christ that are in our world. So we got a whole bunch of baptized unbelievers in our society. And at the same time, we have a whole bunch of Christians that are people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ that have never been baptized. And it's, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about it. This was given to us as an intended for us to be a sign of our faith and a right that pictures our covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And a bunch of people have gone through it that don't have that covenant relationship with him. And many people have not gone through it that do have that covenant relationship with him. So everything's kind of out of whack in our society as we consider baptism this morning. Well, let's clear it all up for him, shall we? As we look at the passage before us in Romans chapter 6, and beginning in verse 1, we're going to see four different qualities of biblical baptism. The first quality that I'd like to point out comes right at the very front of the, of the argument, and it is the assumption of baptism. He, he starts off with this question, because he just finished up in Romans chapter 5, talking about 
the grace of God and how we get God's grace in our life. We get forgiven of our sins through faith and faith alone. That's the theme of Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, coming right up into this passage. It's only through faith. In fact, look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he's just been arguing that, you know what, our justification, our forgiveness of sins, our righteousness before God comes through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Then he recognizes there's going to be a question. If our salvation is completely based on God's grace, he just gives it to us. We don't deserve it. He just gives it to us. Then I can just go on living in sin. At the end of chapter 5, he says, wherever sin abounded, God's grace superabounded. It abounded all the more. So the people are going to be thinking, all right, then if it's based on God's grace, I don't have to earn salvation. I don't have to be righteous enough to keep God's salvation. Then I can go live however I want. And the Apostle Paul answers the question to that with baptism. He says, absolutely not. In verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now, the very first point that I'd like you to notice is that this very simply points out that he just assumes that every Christian is baptized. He just assumes it. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, what's he talking about? Everybody that has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says all of us who were baptized into him were baptized into his death. He just assumes that they're baptized. He should be able to. Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives out the Great Commission to His disciples, He tells them to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, in this passage, the verb is the word make disciples. Baptizing and teaching are both participles. What that means is those two things modify, they reflect back to the main verb. So when He says make disciples of all nations... And then he goes on and says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things that I've told you to do. Baptism and teaching are how you make disciples. He's telling them, go make disciples of all nations, and how do you do that? You baptize them, and then you teach them. But baptism was their initiation or their being brought into the faith. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, obviously the emphasis is on the believing part. It is through believing that we are saved and through not believing that we are condemned. But baptism is so closely linked. One meant the other. One symbolized the other. If you didn't believe, you didn't get baptized. If you did believe, you did get baptized. Even speaking about John the Baptist's baptism, in Luke chapter 7, the Bible tells us when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the liars rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. So it was really plain and simple and cut forward. If you believed, you were baptized. If you didn't believe, you weren't baptized. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Romans says all of us who were baptized, he just assumes their baptism. As we come to the day of Pentecost and Peter gets an opportunity to preach the gospel to all the people that have come to observe the uh, the holiday or the festivities of Pentecost, uh, he had pre- just got done preaching about Jesus Christ and how they'd hung him on the cross. And the people were pricked to their hearts. Says now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. That's how he calls them to faith in Christ. Well, let's keep continuing reading, then we'll come back to it. It says, For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they were, everybody who received his word, it says, was baptized, and that's what got added to the church. How did they know the church grew by 3,000? Because they baptized 3,000. That's what they kept track of. You know, I remember reading an evangelist letter that talked about having hundreds of people come to Christ over the last year, and then he says, and we baptized six. I thought, something's wrong here. If we look back at the early church, they counted them by their baptisms. If you, if you came to Christ, you got baptized. It was just, that's how you showed what you were Christian. That's what you came forward and you did. It's very different today. In chapter 8, when it shows the, the spread of Christianity, it continued to be the same way. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then if you read a little bit later in that chapter, what happens is Philip gets to, uh, he's out in the wilderness and there's a chariot that comes by with an Ethiopian eunuch on it, and he's headed back home, and he's reading the Psalms. And Philip goes and joins himself to the chariot, as God told him to do, and he looks up and he listens to the guy reading the Psalms, and he just asks him a question. He says, do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? No, I don't know what I'm reading. And Philip started to explain to him, and he preached to him Christ. And when he explained to him that the Psalm was talking about what Christ would do in the future, The Ethiopian eunuch, when they came across water, which also points to immersion again, because they could have done it with their drinking water if it was anything else. But when they came across water, the Bible says, says that they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch said, You know what? Here's water right here. But what's holding us up? This was about Jesus. I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. I want to be baptized into Christ. What, what else do I got to do? And they did it. They went down into the water and they baptized Him right there. It's very interesting. In our day, things are different. I was watching a, uh, a video with Francis Chan. He was addressing his church and he said, last week I preached in, in that Acts chapter 2 about the day of Pentecost and when Peter says, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, I got all these emails and all these questions. Well, what does baptism have to do with it? Is it does your salvation really happen at repent or does it happen at baptism or does it happen when you receive the Holy Spirit? Or, and he had all these questions and he listed out all these questions and he says, I'd just like to do this. He says, I'd like to answer you a question with a question. Why do you ask? Why do you ask? And he just began to point out that, you know what? He says, it's not hard to understand. My seven-year-old came home after that message and says, I need Jesus Christ. I want to get baptized. And we baptized him the next day. It's just pretty simple. He says, repent, be baptized. Holy Spirit, you're, you're saved. He says, it's simple. He said, but you know what? We in America in these days, we've confused things. We've, we always want to know what the bare minimum is. What's the bare minimum? Well, what do I have to do? We start talking about baptism, about getting up in front of people and getting dunked underwater and getting wet. And I understand that that can be uncomfortable. But you know what? We, we, we want to say, well, wait a minute. Does that, do I still get to go to heaven if I don't do that? Can I, what's going to keep me out of heaven? Because if it's going to keep me out of heaven, then I'll, I'm, I'm in there. But if I, it's not going to keep me out of heaven, what's the bare, what's the bare minimum? And you know what? It's, it's not about that. If, if you're asking that question, you're just not in the right place yet. You know, it's like in release time. In release time this year, one of the students in release time asked me, well, 
uh, how much do you have to love God to go to heaven? Like if other people love him more than you, how much? And I said, you know what, if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. When your heart just loves God, you're in the right place. When you're saying, how, how much do I have to love him? How much do I have to give up? How much do I have to? You know, throughout the Bible, Christianity, our relationship with God is compared to marriage, right? Now I want to ask just the man something here. When you asked your bride to marry you and you were, and then she immediately whipped out that notebook and that pencil and started planning her wedding. Well, I should not say that. She has not started planning her wedding. She started planning her wedding when she's about six. But, but when she starts planning the wedding and making the guest lists and thinking about what flowers and colors and all these kinds of things and you're going, wow, right? How many of you said, now wait a minute. Does this mean I have to get up in front of people? Does this mean you're going to fill that room full of people and I have to stand up in front of people and actually even say some things? No, no, I'm not, no. You can legally just go to the courthouse, take a couple witnesses, sign some papers, and and that's it. You can do that. It's legal. But I got a feeling you wouldn't be married today (laughs) if you weren't ready for the ceremony. That's what baptism is. Baptism is what the ceremony is to a to being married is what baptism is to being a Christian. Baptism is the, the ceremony. It's that kind of that wedding ceremony that shows our unification with Christ. You were happy to stand up in front of, you didn't care who was there. You're happy to stand up in front of friends, family members, before God in this company as, it's, as we say in our vows and exchange vows and make promises that are, that are your whole lifelong promises and you don't care who's there. Why? Because your heart's in the right place with your wife. You know when we when we come to when we think we're coming to Christ and we say, "Well, but I'm not going. I'm not doing that." Uh, we're we're not in the right place. If we're if we're coming to Christ asking the question, "What's the bare minimum? What do I have to do to be getting into heaven? Where's that line?" Then you know what your your heart's just not ready. You're not where you need to be. When we look at believers not being baptized, there's I think can be two factors. One is ignorance. And for that, I would put blame for that on shoulders of people like me. Baptism through the pulpits of our society has been downplayed down through uh, our history. And it's been belittled. Now, the reason that I would say that is because we've changed it. When you look at Acts in the early church, and they are preaching Jesus Christ, baptism was just part of it. We've taken that out of the equation. We've offered it afterwards, but never as part of salvation. You know what we've changed it with? Walking down an aisle, come forward on an invitation. Or uh, sit there quietly in the pew and raise your hand, let me know, and I'll be praying for you. If you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand. We just replaced baptism with raising your hand. We've replaced baptism with uh, inviting Jesus into your heart. A lot of terminology that's not in the Bible, we've replaced baptism with those things. And so we've diminished the pulpit has diminished baptism from its right biblical picture and place. Well, as we look at Acts chapter 22, and the Apostle Paul is sharing his testimony. He says, and now why do you wait, is what he was told. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In Acts 22 verse 16. And so there was Acts calling on Jesus' name. And I think that might, might be where we get some of that invite Jesus into your heart kind of language. But uh, uh, calling upon the name of the Lord is part of our salvation. In faith, we, we call out to him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. But we express it in our baptism. So some people through ignorance just don't recognize that it's a big deal. The pulpit has done a big disservice because some churches have gone along and taught that you can't get to heaven without being baptized. The baptism is a ritual that you have to go through whereby when you go through it, God bestows grace upon you. Then you have opportunity to go to heaven. And that's false. 
The book of Romans up to this point has been emphatically teaching that you're saved by faith alone. Faith is what gets you into heaven's doors. It's through faith that you're justified like we read in Romans chapter 5. But what we've done is we've gone too far. We've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. And we've said, no, you don't, you're not saved by your baptism. In fact, you can get to heaven without your baptism and it starts making baptism look not all that important. When baptism is still very important. As I said, it's like the wedding ceremony compared to the marriage. It's crucial. The Bible often uses the word baptism and salvation interchangeably. One, they were so closely linked. So they were assumed. So ignorance. Ignorance can be one reason that people that come to believe do not follow through with baptism. The other one, the only option left is disobedience. Because it is such a simple command through the Bible. You know, I was listening to one guy. He said, if you take the command to love your neighbor as yourself, you can find some mystery in there. What exactly does that mean? And you can find people using different ways to reach their neighbor and to love their neighbor. There can be a fuzzy line on how that applies in your life. But he said, with baptism, there's really no fuzzy line. Either you've done it or you haven't. It's clear. It's like people, you know, every once in a while I, I, I meet a couple that, that's living together that's, that's not married and they come to me looking to get married and I talk to them about what's going on in their life at this point and showing them how they, I need to do more for you than just help you get married. You need to line yourselves up with God. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. But every once in a while you'll have one of them say, we feel married. That doesn't make any sense. You don't, you don't just feel married. Married is a, there's a point in time where that happens. There's a legal document that's signed, witnesses that do it, vows that are exchanged. It's either you've done it or you haven't. It's not a, it's not a feeling thing. I hope there's feelings involved in your marriage, but that doesn't make a marriage. Well, it's the same with baptism. Either you've done it or you haven't. And so there we have it. But the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to these believers in the early church, he could just assume their baptism, that they'd followed through on it. He also didn't have this huge group of baptized people that weren't believers that he's dealing with. And so we need to get back to a more of a biblical understanding of baptism. Well, not only do we see the assumption of baptism, but we see the demonstration of baptism. Because notice what it says through the passage. It says all of us who have been baptized were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when we go through baptism in your Lord down into the water, it's a demonstration of what you believe. It's a demonstration of Christ dying and being buried and that he rose again from the dead. So baptism is a demonstration of what we believe about Jesus Christ. We're saying just as he died on the cross, I'm, I'm picturing that with what I'm going through right here. But not only is it a demonstration, it is also a connection. We have the connection of baptism. Because this is creating a unity, a union between us and Christ. It says, as many of us were baptized into Christ. We were baptized into His death. We're baptized into His resurrection. And that's what the whole point of this is, is when we come up and go through a baptism, is we're saying, you know what, I am joined to Christ. I'm united with Christ. I'm united with Him in His death. I'm united with Him in His resurrection. Just as the book of Galatians says in chapter 3, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Baptism is a a demonstration of that connection that we have to Jesus Christ. When He died on that cross, He was dying for me. When He was buried, I was buried with Him. When He rose again from the dead, I raised with Him. And just as I'm participating in His death on the cross for my sins, I look forward to participating in His resurrection from the dead. In fact, I'm going to get a jump on it by the way I live now. And that brings us to the last point. That is the liberation of baptism. He says, just as we are baptized into Christ's death and in His resurrection, we walk a new life. 
And then later in that passage, he says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You see what he's saying is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we get set free from our sins. We get set free. They no longer have a hold on us. They no longer have bondage on us. Now, we would all recognize that we still struggle, do we not? We still have temptations come our way. We still have things that we struggle with, that we wrestle with. But how many of them have you overcome? I would dare say that if you've been a Christian for very long, you're a lot farther along than you were when you started. Why? Because you were brought out from under bondage. We're not free to sin. That was where the passage started. Remember that? So can we just keep on sinning so that grace abounds? No, absolutely not. Why? Because it would be contrary to everything that we are in Christ. In Christ, I am dead to my sins and I'm alive to God. For me to go on living in sin would be contrary to who I am in Him. So we're not free to sin where the passage started out. You know what we are? We're free from sin. Well, as we think about those things today, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that demonstration. It's a demonstration of what Jesus did for us. Kathy is making it pers- it's personal to her. It's a demonstration of what Jesus did for her in dying on that cross and rising again from the dead. It's a statement of her faith. It's a, it's a recognition of a connection, that there's a union, a unity between us and Christ as they celebrate this in the waters of baptism. It's a, it's a celebration of the, the liberation, the, the freedom that we have from sin in our life. And it's one step closer to being able to assume it in the lives of every believer. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this, this very uh, holy and sacred time. And Lord, it's holy and sacred not because of anything that's in the water. It's just tap water. It's holy and sacred not just because of ceremony. It's holy and sacred because of what it represents represents what you have done for us and ours and Kathy's faith and trust in you. And we are honored to go through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.